We're wrapping up Sound Mind, and I think it's good to give you some context with Elijah as we wrap up Sound Mind. I think this is, this is the clearest and cleanest story in Scripture that takes mental health and, and puts all of the, the challenges on full display. But it's also the same story that gives us the clearest path out. It is, it is God giving us the gift of depression, suicide, mental illness being restored to a journey of purpose and victory all in one story. But in order to grasp it, I think you need some context for the story, right? We're talking about Elijah. And Elijah, this story from Elijah is on the heels of some of the most miraculous work that could be done. In other words, I want you to know, this is not someone who lived in a perpetual state of darkness. This is someone who... 1 Kings chapter 8, right before this, is coming off of the heels of confronting the prophets of Baal. There's 450 of them. They're telling him his God is a fraud. Elijah is the only prophet of God that's willing to stand up in front of them and call them out. And when he calls them out, God sends down fire. It engulfs the, 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 the altar that Elijah created. And once that's engulfed, Elijah chases him down, kills them all, and celebrates the victory before God, right? Like, this was a man who was in the throes of spiritual victory. He was someone who looked like on the outside he had it all together. He was someone you would look at and say, that dude is a titan for the Lord. Like, he is the prophet who did what no other prophet would do, and immediately after that, he finds himself in the darkest throes of depression. You have to understand that because I think uh, for some of us, we, we go through these ups and downs. You want to see ups and downs. You want to see mountaintops and valleys. You're going to see it with Elijah. Yet God takes Elijah on one final journey, and this is the journey that sets him free. So let's dial in here, Elijah on the heels of an incredible spiritual victory. Here's what happens. 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, you remember that rotten, dirty, no good scoundrel Jezebel? You remember that? More bad vibes, Jezebel. If you haven't, go back to our YouTube and watch that season. Um, Jezebel, oh man, what a bad woman. 1 Kings 19, 1 through 8. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba. This is important to understand. Beersheba was a town on the outskirts of Jerusalem uh, that was desolate. No good thing came from Beersheba. It had no water. You couldn't grow crops. It had no civilization. Like Beersheba was the place you went to not exist anymore. So it's really important to understand. When Abraham, this is a place of formation. When Abraham brought Isaac to the altar by the calling of God and he offered Isaac on the altar and God said, Abraham, wait, he did two things with Abraham. Number one, he blessed him. Number two, he sent him to Beersheba. He sent him to the place of desolation for formation. 
He sent them to a place where there was nothing else that could distract you, nothing else that could pull you away. He sent them to the place known for being alone. When Isaiah is fighting over water wells in Isaiah chapter 7 and they're stolen from it, it's because God finally strikes water in Beersheba and all the people go there and steal the wells from it. This is like a place that is known in biblical history as being desolate and alone. That's important to understand with the story of Elijah. He left where he was to go to the place of desolation, to the place of isolation, to the place of being alone. It's a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then what does he do? He went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Wow, what a prayer. Maybe there's you in here who have prayed that prayer who have found yourself in the place of isolation, in the place where nothing good is happening, in the place of being alone, and have sat down and said, I've had enough. Lord, I've had enough. He doesn't stop there. He says, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down, slept under a broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead of you will be too much for you. So he got up, he ate, he drank, and, the, he, and he ate the food that was gave him enough. And it's been a long 24 hours, all right? And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Then he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? It may be a better way to see that because who called him to that cave? Who woke him up? Who fed him? Who called him on the journey? God, God knew why he was there, but he wanted Elijah to remember why he was there. Sometimes God will say, why are you here? And he's not looking for an answer. He's giving you a reminder. Why are you here? It is not to live in self-isolation. It is not to live in darkness. And it, why, why are you here right now? God knows why you're here. Like, that's not a mystery to God. But what God's trying to do is not ask you a question, but give you a reminder. Why are you here? Sometimes we have to go back to our why. We've got to remember our why, because everything in life can be distracting us from a Jezebel who's trying to manipulate us, to an Ahab who's trying to kill us, to a land that seems desolate and nothing is going our way, and our why gets robbed in our isolation. Our why gets robbed in darkness. Our why gets robbed in people coming against us. Our why gets robbed in the enemies, and God says, why are you here? The same God who called him there is asking him, why are you here? to remind him of his why. Maybe you need to be reminded of your why. So what does Elijah say? I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. 
I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the, lo the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went, down, and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said again, beautiful, right? Come to me, come to the mountain. I'm going to speak to you. Remember your why. Why are, what are you doing here, Elijah? Gives the same answer. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came. And travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazel, Hazael will be killed by Jehu. And those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet... I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have not bowed down to Baal or kissed him. The Huffington Post did an article in 2021 based on a research study that they performed. And the hypothesis of their research study was this, that those who quarantined and worked at home and changed their outfit and got up and worked in, in a work outfit versus those who worked in their jammies were more productive. Here's their start and their, their conclusion of the article. After nearly a year of sheltering in place, remember it's 2021, it's on the heels of COVID where everyone was bringing it home. After nearly a year of sheltering in place, even the most polished among us have shifted to a lower maintenance appearance. Our makeup and hairstyling routines have been downgraded to the bare minimum, if not eliminated altogether. Our pants have been traded for matching athleisure sets and pajamas paired with college sweatshirts. Coincidentally, our mental health is also on the decline, and it's possible there's a correlation between the two. They continue on in this study, and they take two major corporations, and within those corporations, they were given the liberty at the expense of finding out how productivity works to pull the workforce. And when they pulled the workforce of all of those that were working at home, Here's what they found, and it's not surprising that those who got up and treated it like a day of going into the office, and they showered, and they put on an actual outfit that they would wear in public, right? Unless they're college kids, y'all wear pajama pants and Crocs everywhere, right? But like actual like human being stuff, you know? So like they, they got up, they got themselves together, they put on an outfit, and they sat down at their computer in their home and worked versus those who worked in their pajamas all day. They found three things that came about with those who got 
themselves ready. Here they are. Number one, they were more productive. Number two, they were more focused. And number three, they had a better mood throughout the day. 100% true with me. This is like a life hack for me. Um, One of the things that I do on like a Tuesday. So I work at home on Tuesdays. I have a study in my house. That's when I do sermon prep. And I just kind of lock myself in a study with a bunch of books and do not disturb on and just dive in to, to prepare sermon study. So Tuesdays I work at home and then Saturday nights, like last night, I'm just, I'm exhausted. I'm worn out from a conference. I'm like, how do I wrap my mind around a sermon and, and pray and prepare for that? So I'll do this. This is my hack. I will go take a shower I'll go to my closet and I will put on like an actual outfit. I, I said I'd get dressed up in the first service and Mike Sullivan makes fun of me all the time. He's like, if that is dressed up, like we need, we need to have a conversation, right? For me, I'll put on something that's presentable outside of my house, right? So I'll do this and then I'll go on a Tuesday or a Saturday night and I'll go to my study and I'll work and it just it just wakes me up. It, it's, it's crazy what it does. The study is true. In fact, like Anna and I's joke is this, on Tuesday mornings, I'll come out of our bedroom, it'll be like 7.45, 8 o'clock in the morning, and I'm like dressed for the day, and she knows I'm staying at home, and she'll say, who are you all dressed up for? What, what is all this about? So I joke back with her, and I'm like, oh, you don't know, you don't need to know, you know? Canaan is like, Dad, I like your flow, man. He calls it a flow, right? He's like, Dad, I like your flow, man. The flow's good, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm ready for the day, man. I'm all, I'm all gamed up. I'm going up to my study, you know? And Anna's like, uh-huh, I'm going to be watching you today. And, like, we're joking about it. And the, the funny part of the joke is this. I've gotten myself together for nobody but myself. And that's the whole point of Elijah's story. That is the whole point of what God is saying to Elijah. And maybe that's the starting point for us when it comes to breaking ourselves free from falling into the depths of self-isolation and darkness and depression is you have to get up. And you don't get up to impress your classmates. You don't get up because you're going to class. You don't get up because you're coming to church. You don't get up because you're coming to work. You get up for yourself. Thank you, Tina. Like you got, you got to be willing to get up. So, I mean, like, and here's what I want you to hear. I don't want you to hear an angry dad who's trying to get their son out of bed so they're not late for school and he's, he's yelling at the door, get up! I've told you three times, get up! Can you tell I've been there, right? Like usually a couple days a week, you know, he's passed out. We play a game called What Ball Is It? So like if he won't get up and it's by, by like 7.25, if he's not up, I'm like, okay, it's time. What ball is it? And I'll get a ball, like I'll start with a football and just loft it up and he's just laying there like, ooh! Oh, what ball was it? Was that the basketball? Nope. Next try. Take another one. Loft it up there. It's like, boom. He's like, oh, uh, volleyball? And like, no, 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 no. Let's play another one. What ball was it? Get a baseball. You know, and like, oh, shoot. He's just, oh. And he's like, oh, that was the baseball. That was the baseball. I'm like, yep. Get up. That's, that is not what God is doing here. <laughs> Here's what God is doing. Here's what I hope you hear, because I'm going to, drill this into your mind because this is what God starts with with Elijah the get up that you're getting here is from a loving father who sees his son on the heels of a victory sinking to the depths of depression and declaring I've had enough take my life I'm done with this and he leans down to him and what does he say get 
up. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you online need to hear that today. That it's time for you to get up. This is the first message. So let's take the journey with Elijah. What do we do? Depths of depression, sinking into darkness, self-isolation. We're in Beersheba and we don't want to live anymore. What does God do with us? Let's start with Elijah. 1 Kings 19, 4 through 6. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I am no better than my descendants who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up. Get up. What's his message to Elijah? It's not keep sleeping. It's not stay there until you feel like it. It's not drowned in the sorrows of your own emotions. Get up. He says, get up, and what does he not only say, get up, but he says, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Guys, go to verse 4, really quick. Run back, verse 4, back one. Oh, yes, this is it. Okay, fifth word, circle it, read it, underline it, whatever you got going on, highlight it on your device. Then he went on What? Then he went on alone. This is so important to understand when we talk about journeying out of depression. He is alone. He is alone by himself. He left his servant. He's in Beersheba. There's nobody with him. Yet when God wakes him up, what is laying next to his head? Warm bread and water. What does that tell you about the God that journeys with you? He's going to provide. What does that tell you about the God who calls you to get up? He not only calls you to get up, but he calls you to get up and he's going to sustain you in that journey. In other words, he has what you need to get you up. You just have to get up. You gotta get up. Listen, there is a history, if you trace this narrative throughout scripture, of God providing for the needs of his people through food. Walk with me for a moment. Who fed Israel in the wilderness? God did. Who, when Joseph was sold into slavery and he wound up in Egypt because God's blessing rested on him, when the children of Israel were facing famine and drought, who fed Egypt through Joseph for seven years? God did. Who fed Ruth? God did. What did she say to Boaz? Leave the outsides of the field and don't worry about it. I've got it handled. And what did Ruth do? Ruth went and she found her food. Who fed Daniel in captivity when he denied the king's delicacies? God did. What did God do through a eunuch that rebelled against the king? He brought David, he brought Daniel, I'm sorry, nourishment. Who multiplied fishes and loaves and fed thousands of people? God did. Jesus, yes. Who said, I, man, should I live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God? Who called themselves the bread of life? Jesus did. This is not hard to see. The God who calls you on journey is the same God who sustains you. He's the God who feeds you. The, the, the problem is if you quit getting up, you stop eating. 
You've got to get up. And when you get there, you eat and you continue to eat. The meal never ends. You, you, I don't know if this still works. I, I, I'd be glad if y'all tried it and told me. College students, hack of a lifetime. Uh, this is what I did in college. It was one of my favorite things to do. Um, me and some of my buddies, we would go to Golden Corral for breakfast. Praise God for Golden Corral, right? It was when Golden Corral was like $4.99 for breakfast. You can't even buy their rolls for $4.99 anymore, right? But it was $4.99 for breakfast, and we would go 8 a.m. We'd get there. There was a corner booth back in, in the Golden Corral. And we would go sit at the corner booth, and we would eat breakfast. And this was when breakfast was good, man. This was like, this is when they had thick bacon. It was thick this way, and it was thick this way. It looked like a roll of duct tape laying there of bacon, right? Like, not this skinny, like, you can see through it type bacon that wobbles or anything. This is like when Golden Corral's breakfast was real, you know? And we would go there and we'd have breakfast for $4.99 and then we'd stay in that booth for four hours and we would eat for, for, we would eat the whole breakfast, we'd study for four hours and then at noon, they flipped the buffet. And when they flipped the buffet, you're still in the room, you're still eating. You're still in the room, you're still eating. So they'd flip that buffet and at noon we'd go back and be eating cheeseburgers and that bourbon like chicken teriyaki stuff that they got and you know chicken fried steak and everything. And we'd pull off two meals for $4.99 and as long as you stayed in there, you ate. The second you left and that door closed, and you know how they got that separate entrance or the separate exit, right? They bring you in one way, they exit you another way, and it is a one-way door. And the second you leave, you don't eat anymore, but as long as you stay, you eat. What pulls us out of depression is getting up and going back to the meal that continually feeds us. Here is the problem with self-isolation, is it has created for you a world where you're no longer getting up and you're no longer eating. You're no longer eating. You're no longer experiencing the nourishment that God has for you. So what is the message to Elijah and where is our starting point? You got to get up. And when you get up, what you need will be provided. The nourishment you need will be there. And it doesn't stop there. Watch, it continues on. 1 Kings 19 through 7 through 9. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him again. I love that. Wakes him up. Hey, get up. Eat. Elijah eats, falls back asleep. Thinking, okay, thank you. It's over. God says, no, 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 no. I didn't wake you up to just eat. I woke you up to eat because I still have a purpose for you. Maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe you're sitting here feeling like an Elijah and you're thinking, well, yeah, God's going to wake me up and God's going to feed me. He's not just feeding you for nothing. He's not waking you up and nourishing you for nothing. He wakes him up and he begins to feed him and then he falls asleep. Then, then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him again and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up, he ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. Isn't this an amazing progression? So where do we start? He's in the depths of depression, and what does God say? He says, get up, and then what does God do? He feeds him, and then after he feeds him, what does he call him to? A journey. He says, I've got a journey for you. I've got a place for you to go. Get up, eat, and journey, and on that journey, he has everything that you'll need. 
Yeah, I, listen, I love, I, there's a lot of Louisiana people around here now. I'm starting to know, I'm meeting more and more and more uh, people from Louisiana. It's got me jonesing to go back. I love to go fishing in South Louisiana. And one of my really, really close friends lives in Brobridge. And we go to Homa and go fishing. And I, you know, I, I call him and every time he's like, hey, bro, just, he says, Bubba, just come and you don't need to bring a thing but a toothbrush. And if you don't mind sharing, you don't need to bring that either. And he's only kind of joking, right? <laughs> Welcome to Louisiana, right? He's only kind of playing around. And at first, I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I, I, I'm going to bring my own stuff. And so for me, I don't know why, but I'm like, I, I want to bring my own rods, my own reel. I want to tie my own lead lines. I want to bring my own spoons. I want to, I like, do my own thing, right? And every time I show up, I get there, I've got the wrong weight of line, I got the wrong colored spoons, the gear ratios jacked up on my ride. And he's like, why did you bring all of that? I got everything you need right here in the boat. So now I've caught on and now I actually like it better because call, I call him and I'm like, hey, I'm coming. I may not even bring a toothbrush this time. And he's like, come on, boy, come on, boy, we got you. And I show up there and everything that I need for the journey, he already has. Do you understand? When God calls you to get up, he doesn't call you to no man's land with no nourishment or nothing. When God calls you up, he is the God who calls you to journey with the provision that you need to get you there. You've just got to get up. You got to get up. At some point, you got to get up and not for everybody else and anyone else and everywhere you're going, but for you, you've got to get up. So he calls him to get up. He feeds him. He calls him on journey, and now look what God does. 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. He tells him, go out and stand before me on the mountain. The Lord told him, and as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And the, after the rocks were torn loose, the, the Lord was not in the wind. I know I just repeated myself. Again, long 24 hours. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. Wow. You know, I, I hear that verse used all the time about God speaking to people. I hear, you know, it's, he's in the whisper. Listen for the gentle whisper, the subtle whisper. What, what they leave out is the context. Do you know that God whispered to a man that was suicidal in the depths of depression who ran away and wanted to die? So you're asking yourself today, can God still speak to me in Beersheba? Can God still speak to me when I don't want to live anymore? Can God still speak to me when I've ran away from everything and I've abandoned everyone and I've created this own world of isolation in the place of desolation, in the wilderness by myself? Can God still meet me? Not only can he meet you, but if you will get up, he will provide for you. Not only will he provide for you, he'll bring you back on journey. And not only will he bring you back on journey, but he will begin to speak to you again. Eugene Peterson, who is a theologian that I absolutely love, brilliant man, well ahead of his time, he, he wrote a book called, uh, I don't even remember, it's like A Faithful Obedience in a Long Direction or something. It's a book on spiritual formation. And he says, all Christians are called to two things. And we get the first one, we never understand the second one. We're called to two things. Number one, we're called to discipleship, to become a learner, to become a grower, right? We're called to discipleship. But the second thing we're called to is pilgrimage. 
And so we don't, we don't wrap our minds around this is not just discipleship, but this is discipleship on a journey. This is discipleship on a pilgrimage. And he makes it so clear, like if you think about even the genesis of our faith and then Joseph heading to Egypt, Joseph was on a forced pilgrimage. And what did God do for Joseph? He met him in a prison cell and spoke to him. He met him in Egypt and spoke to him. And he met him and continued to bless him and care for him. Israel was headed to the promised land out of captivity in Egypt. And what did God do? Cloud by day, fire by night, spoke to them. That's how he met them and spoke to them when they were on the journey that he called them to. So they wind up in forced captivity and they're allowed to journey back to Jerusalem. What happens? God speaks to them through prophets. And God sends prophets over and over to speak to them. And then they get back there and they try to rebuild. And what does God do? On their journey of rebuilding, he sends Nehemiah and he sends Ezra and he speaks to them. The Jews would journey to festivals over and over and over to celebrate the liturgy of their faith. And what would they do? Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, they're called the Psalms of Ascent. They would literally sing songs of pilgrimage. We are on a journey with God, and on that journey, he speaks to me. What was Jesus' life and ministry? A journey, a pilgrimage, teaching people and calling people into discipleship. What was Paul's mission? A journey of traveling around, writing letters to churches through which God spoke. In other words, when we are journeying, as Peterson would say, the journey is where God speaks. The journey is where God speaks. But when you quit your pilgrimage, you quit hearing from God. When you quit your pilgrimage, you quit hearing his voice. So what does God do? He says, Elijah, get up. Elijah gets up. He feeds him. He feeds him what he needs for the journey. And then he calls him on that journey. He calls him on a pilgrimage. And in that pilgrimage, God speaks. If you are looking for the voice of God, ask yourself what direction you're headed in. Are you still on pilgrimage with him? Are you still on journey with him? Are you still headed in the direction that he has called you to? Because the, the process that Elijah is going, how do we get out of Beersheba? Get up, eat, journey, God speaks, now watch what God does. 1 Kings 19, 15 through 16. It says, then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, to be from the town of Abel Mahaloah, to replace you as my prophet. After Elisha goes, he throws a party for this anointing that he receives. Here's what happens. 1 Kings 19, 21. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. You see what God did. It's amazing to think about. When he gets up, he feeds him. He says, get up, eat, journey, I speak, 
calls him back to where he came from. We think a lot of times our only escape is a new scenery. Our only escape. No, he calls him back to the old place with new people. Calls him back to the old place with new people. God may not have called you to leave where you're at, but he may be calling you to journey with new people. So he says, get up, eat, journey. God speaks, and then what does God do? He sends people to help. He sends people to help. He says, Jehu is coming. Who kills Jezebel? It's an easy one. Jehu, right? He sends Jehu to help. Who kills Jezebel? Ah, you got it. Wow, you're really getting it here. He sends Jehu out, and then he calls Elisha. And what is Elisha? He's his assistant. In other words, he calls him on journey, gives him mission, but this time he gives him help. In order to get to the place where you get the help that you need, you have to get up. You have to get up. And if you get up, God will feed you and God will nourish your soul. And I'm not talking about bread. Man does not live by bread alone, by every word that comes to the mouth of God. You get up, God feeds your soul, you take the journey, God speaks, he sends help. Let's wrap the whole thing up. Here it is. So, by the way, more bad vibes. You heard me talk about that. So you know what happens, right? He gets his assistant. He gets a new king. He goes. He confronts Ahab. He confronts Jezebel. He calls them out. He points out their plan. He says, you guys are liars. You're manipulators. You're deceivers. You're taking advantage of the kingdom of God. And what happens? Jezebel runs away. Ahab repents. She runs to where Jehu is king. Jehu confronts her. She throws her off a building. She falls, dies. Dogs eat up her bones, and everyone celebrates. He goes to this triumphant victory. Do you see the ark, the roller coaster that is Elijah's life? Triumphant victory in Mount Carmel, confronting the prophets of Baal. Deep depression in Beersheba, ready to end his life. And God says, get up, eat, journey, I'll speak to you, send help, and he does the most triumphant victory of his day. The most triumphant, do you know that God, God has a plan for you beyond your depression? He has a plan for you beyond your Beersheba. How do we get there? We're driving it home. You gotta get up, you gotta eat, you gotta journey. God will speak, he will send help. Here's the most beautiful part of the story. So now we see Elijah return to this spiritual prominence where he experiences victory. He's out of Beersheba. Right? He's made it out of Beersheba. He's out of darkness. He has led this brilliant victory. And now he's coming to the very end of his life. And at the very end of his life, here's what happens. 2 Kings 2, verse 9. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. This is amazing. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. He goes from a depressed, suicidal man to an example of might, to an example of power, to an example of a spirit worth following, worth chasing after. In 2 Kings 2, 15, it says, when the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. 
And they went to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. How do we get out of Beersheba? How do we get out of Beersheba? We have to get up. You have to get up. You have to find it within you, not for anything else or anyone else, but within you to get up for yourself. And if you do, the God who sustains you will meet you and he will feed your spirit. And not only will he feed your spirit, but he will call you back on journey. And it is the journey with Jesus where he speaks and you will hear God's voice. And when you hear his voice, he will send help. And when he sends help, you will be able to go back to wherever you were before or confront anything that you need to confront or challenge anything that you need to challenge and you will be able to do it from a place of victory that leaves a legacy of people wanting a double portion of what you have. Listen, I am not a prophet nor am I the son of a prophet. But I I feel led to tell you this and I felt led to tell the first worship experience as well. There are some of you in here. There are some of you in here who are Elijah and Beersheba. You are in the throes of darkness. You are self-isolated in depression. You have gone from spiritual high to miserable low, and you find yourself in a place of isolation, a place of darkness, and you find yourself praying out that same prayer that Elijah prayed, saying, I have had enough. Be better if I were dead. Be better if I were gone. And you came in here thinking, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I have no idea where to turn. Turn to Elisha. Look at the story of Elisha. If you will just get up, God will sustain you. He will feed you. He'll call you on journey. When he calls you on journey, he'll speak to you. When he speaks to you, he will send help. And that help will come so that you can overcome wherever you're at so that you can have that legacy of your children looking up to you saying, I want a double portion of what you had. And you can look at them and say, there was a time where you wouldn't want a double portion of anything that I was. But God, But the God who called me to journey, fed me, he sustained me, he helped me, he spoke to me, and here we are. That's how we get out of Beersheba.